0: of American Indian World Culture. It's not only Saturday night at the movies, but a lot of other days and nights at the movies for the last hundred plus years, a part of our culture. I was listening, watching a movie the other day, and a young couple were about to have their first date, and I think he invited her to, uh, to go to the movies. Stephen, have you ever done that?
1: I've ever done,
0: say that again, I didn't that's, hear what you were saying. That's some young lady to go to the movies with you. Oh okay. yeah, well uh, that's
1: uh, that. sort of a traditional first date thing.
0: Okay, exactly, my point exactly. And uh, and what we're going to reason for the drifters, that was the drifters, Johnny Moore, who at one time was the lead singer, I think he was before Clyde McFadder and certainly before Benny King, but uh, Saturday night at the movies. And it may be a passing thing, actually. I don't believe, but Stephen is the expert on this, and we'll talk to him in just a second. I don't believe it's going to disappear entirely, but it's going to be less evident, uh, an important uh, element in our culture for the last 100-plus years, Uh, going to to the movies and dating at the movies and uh, seeing uh, important moving pictures. Uh, Well, the situation uh, with the movie theaters and the movie industry is, greatly affected by the coronavirus. Did I say that right, Stephen?
1: Close enough, Tom.
0: Close enough, all right, yeah. This is why I have to have Stephen with me. He, he's my policeman. But we're going to talk about the movies tonight, and, and uh, we've had a couple of programs on in the last six months as the coronavirus was more prevalent in the country, and large parts of the movie industry, both the brick-and-mortar theaters and the productions, have had to uh, close down. industry, and uh usually knows the answers to the questions I have to ask, and so I'm asking him to come and talk with us again tonight about where we are vis-a-vis the movies, uh, the releases, some of which have been postponed, et cetera. So, Stephen, uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, and I'm glad you could be here with us. Uh, uh, Saturday night at the movies may be a passing thing.
1: Well, Tom, I want to go back to uh, something you said earlier about uh, you did not think that they were going to go away entirely, and, and I agree with you on that, and uh, somebody as notable as Ron Howard and Brian Glazer, they are the uh, directing and producing duo that gave us a beautiful mind, and Apollo 13 as examples what is they, their,
0: believe, they
1: have a new movie out, so let's give it a plug. Yeah, new movie, I think it's called Hillbilly Energy, and right. it stars Amy Adams and Glenn Close, I saw uh, an interview with Glenn Close last night, and uh, it's, uh, you've indicated it's from a book, and uh, I want each of those ladies to win an Oscar at some point in their lives, and um, unfortunately they're in a movie together now. Of course, one of them could get a supporting actor, not right. actress uh, nomination. But, they're two uh,
0: of yeah. my favorite actresses, and both of them are out hawking their movie right now. Uh, right. While well, you were watching Glenn Close last night, and I were watching Amy Adams, and I really like her. I just think she is just uh, amazing as an actress. She's been nominated for several Oscars and a couple of Golden Globes, I think. So, she had not won yet, but. Uh,
1: I think she's been nominated maybe six times for Academy Awards, and Glenn Close has been nominated seven times, and each of them is deserving. Uh, and But, uh, you know, and, and they've got Ron Howard, who's won one as a, as a director, and Brian Glazer as a producer. so But I wanted to make a point, Tom, that they don't believe that uh, the movie house and, and movie theaters are going to go away completely either, but I do think they buy into your idea that it's going to change. And I want to offer something else to you, Tom, and that is that you mentioned where um, uh, this industry we're talking about is about 100 years old. It's a little over that, I think. And uh, during this period of time, there have been uh, doomsday sayers who have said that this is going to end, this is the death of the the theater and going to see movies. For instance, Tom, when television came along, there was some question about whether or not movies would survive. Well, they did, and they coexist, as you know. They sort of feed off of each other at this point. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away completely, but it is going to have to change. And there is an idea out there, Tom, that you and I haven't talked about that even before the coronavirus, the COVID-19 hit, that the movies were beginning to change because they had to,
0: because of things like streaming and other ways of delivering, right? Right. Okay. Right. And that, that's a good point to make. And so this subject deserves our attention. And you and you going out and walking around it a little bit and telling us, you know, what you know and, and feel about it. And uh, you know, And I'm glad that you mentioned Ron Howard because I, I don't know we because of the Andy Griffith show we sort of have a feeling that he's one of us, you know. And, and so
1: on. And yeah, between gets, that and Happy Days, we kind of grew up with him.
0: And he did win an Academy Award for A Beautiful Mind back about right. 20 years
1: ago. So, you know, Tom, uh, the, the the problem that's being faced is is that um, do you want to put lives at risk for the sake of entertainment? And, you know, one quote I read said that movie theaters are on life support and they pretty much are. I, I've got some numbers I can give you, Tom, Um uh, The things that we talked about in the summer and as uh, August went into September um, have largely not worked to bring people back to the theaters.
0: And the things that I can remember, the second time you were on with us, this is the third time we've confronted this over a period of about six or seven months, was about the time that I believe AMC and maybe Cinemac, or whatever that name of that, uh, two of the biggest uh, I think there's another one called Regal, but they were trying to reopen some of their theaters, and in fact, I think accomplished that, but, but I think you are indicating that that did not work. Well,
1: Tom, in 2019, the domestic box office, and that's primarily the United States, but it might also include Canada, they reported $11.4 billion in ticket sales, which was the second-highest level in history. As of early October, the U.S. and Canada markets have only tallied $2.05 million, which is a difference of almost $9 billion. And you don't lose $9 billion without
0: taking some hits. Right, and, and not only have the theaters closed down, but the way this, this the, the tentacles of this uh, stretch out, they have disturbed the whole production process all the way back to, I imagine, the writing of the scripts and whatever. And that is... Uh, there's no need to go on, or at least to be wary of producing movies if they're not going to be able to showcase them.
1: Well, that, the one, one uh, article I read, Tom, as part of my research for tonight because I've been trying to keep up with the things we've been talking about. Uh, it, the question is, will studios stick their necks out after the, there was a movie out called Tenant, and that was kind of a, a litmus test. You know, were people going to come back, and what happened is that the reviews of the movie were so-so and the box office was pretty uninspired. So, are the, and this is what you were saying. Are the studios going to stick their necks out after a movie like that and risk losing a lot of potential revenue? And if they do that, Tom, then without fresh content, the, the megaplexes are going to close for good. And so
0: we're going to end up with with, uh, with an entertainment scene, but it's going to be I think we might even use the word radical, radically different at, uh, uh, in terms of how many theaters are open. And as you as you I've said, I believe, and you're the expert on this. I'm just giving you an opinion from a fairly uh, light uh, reading and a, an effort to keep up with things as I do most things. That uh, uh, the the uh, appeal or the ability to go to the movies is going to be lightened and, and and without the cash flow, things are going to have to be redone in a way that that, uh, uh, that uh, will allow people to go see the movies. But there are lots of alternatives now and there are more and more of the, they used to be like Netflix and uh, now there are probably, what would you say, 15, 18 services like that streaming their own movies?
1: That's true. There are, and a lot of uh, the producers of movies are choosing to ultimately release their the, the, their product to these streaming devices. So an example might be, for instance, uh, the movie uh, uh, Mulan, which was a Disney movie, and Disney had slated it for uh, uh, release into the theaters, and because uh, you know Disney movies are extremely popular and. Uh, due to the things we've been talking about, it ultimately made a decision to release it to its, I think there was a limited release in the theaters, but fairly quickly they pulled it and put it on the, their own streaming service, which I think is called Disney+. Plus.
0: Well, I read today a strange thing, and this is intended mostly as an aside, and then we'll, we'll take a little break and come back and refocus on this subject that we're talking about now. But Ryan Reynolds has rented a channel that he's transmitting, a platform, Of a a movie, but he's only got one movie. It's one of it's one of his early movies that came out in two thousand and three, and it's just showing it over and over. I think.
1: Well, he's kind of a unique character, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, You know, he he uh, established his own uh, uh, liquor company and recently sold it for a lot of money.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's a little bit off the wall. Uh, But anyway, I just happened to read that while I was like you were doing research on this particular subject. We're talking about the movies. Saturday night and other nights and days at the movies—something that is a part of uh, of American culture and indeed worldwide culture. Uh, we we don't want to think just of America because, after all, the movies have been are all over the world and as far away as India there is something called Bollywood, uh, which I think probably has more attendees. Stephen, as far as I can tell from I read more people uh, in India, the number of people paying for tickets and going to movies. Uh, is probably greater than even in America, and
1: uh, I think they really enjoy their movies there.
0: Yep, yep. So they they named it after Hollywood, but now it's called Bollywood. But we're we're concerned more with what is happening in America because of the presence of the of the coronavirus, and so we're going to focus on that. But we do need to take a break on WPTF, where it is nine eighteen. Five and AM six eight. Tom Kearney shows on every night, Monday through Friday, from nine until ten, and we try to bring you things that are edifying and entertaining. And one of our longest running guests, he's almost a co-host, is my very own brother Stephen Kearney, who has a number of things that he follows uh, as as a kind of a hobby or whatever. And one of the things he knows about is entertainment, and so we've asked him to come and talk about the status of the movie industry vis-a-vis the, uh, the virus that has closed up a lot of things across America and has, has uh, sprouted a new life. And so if some things had opened, they may close again. And if they close again, they may not ever open again. Uh, there's going to be some changes made. Stephen, I've interrupted you a couple of times, but where do, you, where do we go from here? What, what is it that you would like to talk about now?
1: Well, I, I think we can just go back to what you just said, is that it's a combination of, uh, of the things you just named. Some are going to close and stay closed. Some are going to close and reopen as something else. Uh, some people are simply not going to go to the movies anymore. Uh, but, you know, do you want to get off your couch and risk getting COVID or getting the coronavirus by going to see a movie? Or can you stay at home and and, you know, enjoy a movie that's coming on. And the way things are running these days, so it's only about a year and a half to two years between the advent of a movie in the theaters and it actually coming on television. So anything you want to see is going to be on television or some streaming device fairly quickly.
0: You know, I can remember when I was young, I I was waiting for for Gone with the Wind, which was certainly going to attract a lot of people at the movies to come back, because you, you, my mother had told me that it was kind of a right uh, of you know, southern young man. He had to see Gone With the Wind when well, it had come out in, in 39 and had run, and I think the next time it was generally released was in the 50s, when I did, in fact, see it. But if it were on today, I would be able to, I'll bet within a year, I would be watching it on television or buying the DVD or watching it on a streaming service. And one of the things that we need to talk about at some point, maybe not now, but we need to Keep it in is the question of if the movie production houses and the uh, are threatened, and they are because of a law that was passed in the in the late 1940s, separated from the distribution houses. Legally, they can't be owned by the same people. Uh, it, but that, but that law has been withdrawn now. They can be, but if if they the if AMC and the others don't survive, they might be bought up by the by. Disney and Netflix and people like
1: that. That's true, Tom. Uh, one of the things that it has been focused on is the idea that of uh, just who is making movies and who's distributing them. And if a, a movie maker and distributor is part of a larger concern, a larger corporate concern, they may not feel that it's uh, really worth their time, their effort, their money to make a movie that nobody's going to come see because of COVID-19 or the restrictions associated with it or the fear associated with it, and that they simply may not put out as much product. If you're a smaller maker of movies and distributor or an independent, what you have to deal with then is is that your entire livelihood depends on you getting it out there and somebody coming and see it. So we've got two ways for things not to happen, Tom.
0: Well, I hope you don't mind, and you know I'm a little bit of a nut on this these days, but uh, I've become a fan of the Hallmark movies, and there's several ways to look at them. You can look at them as romantic movies and kind of sticky sometimes and so on. But you pointed out to me early on that this is the way that Canadian filmmakers keep their people working. They've created a market.
1: Well, they have, and uh, you're an example of the fact that people watch these movies, and they watch a lot of them. And uh, at one point, I think it was last year, I don't know what the figure was this year, but they announced they were going to release 32 new Christmas movies. This was Christmas 2019. Uh, and, and you know, they are going to rerun the ones they made two years ago, or a year ago, or what have you.
0: So they, run, and, uh, and within the, they start running them in October, and between that and, say, January 1st, they run... The production of about six or seven years in its entirety, and of course, repeat them uh, along the way. And I think the number that I heard this year was twenty-five, but there may be more than that.
1: Well, but the, two key things here: more than one, Tom. Yeah, and people watch them.
0: Right, and you—you—you you, you alluded to a thing that we—we we need always to pay attention to is product, and that is. If we have as many outlets as we do, television stations uh, uh, and and the like, they've got to have something to put on. And used to, you would see a movie, and like we said earlier, you'd see it again in 15 years. Now you see it again sometimes in 15 hours because they've got to fill up those holes. You know, Tom, last night I
1: was watching a station that devotes itself to to, uh, uh, music, rock and roll music, uh, live shows, and live sporting events, and they showed a movie, and the movie they showed was The Bad News Bears from 1976, Now, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's the one that's got Carmen as part of the soundtrack, Tom, and Walter Matthau and Tatum O'Neill. Um, great movie, but you know what? They showed it in part, I think, because they had it to show.
0: Right. Well, in the early days of television, there was a lot of uh, things where they took old movies and cut them up and made television product out of them. and along Cassidy was a good example of that, that. Well, there
1: was two hours of the Three Stooges on the Retro Channel here in, in live And, you know, the Three Stooges are an example of everybody coming, at least a lot of people, coming to it late and making it, uh, you know, sort of iconic.
0: Well, I came to it late, but I didn't come to it late. Sadly, I saw an awful lot of them at the Carolina Theater in Goldsboro. But then again, there was an awful lot of movie product turned out, uh, Be B and C movies as well as A movies in the 40s and into the early 50s until television came along. And and uh, because some a lot of movie houses uh, like the three we had in Goldsboro changed their bills usually at least once a week, sometimes twice. It was the equivalent. Going out to the movies at the night was kind of like sitting down on the, the couch and watching the TV.
1: And, and that's just, a good example of what we, we were talking about earlier, what you mentioned, is that...
0: Hold on, uh, Steven. Stephen. Let's make a tease out of this. You want to find out what Stephen was going to talk about? Wait, we'll talk about it right after the news. Hugging and kissing the balcony, the drifters with Johnny Moore makes me think. Stephen, are you there? Stephen, are you there? I'm here, Tom. Tom Kearney, that's my brother Stephen. We're talking. Stephen knows about the entertainment industry, and I'm curious that uh, the effect of the COVID, I hope I said that right, 19 uh, crisis is having on the movies and the public entertainment and I think the feeling is, and this is what Stephen is helping us understand is that uh, if the movie chains and the movie theaters the brick and mortar theaters, theaters survive, and some will undoubtedly, they will never totally disappear they will be uh, in a different arrangement or a different format, because uh, they they just haven't made much money lately, and a lot of movies that was supposed to be released, maybe a hopeful summertime blockbuster or whatever, have been put on uh, indefinite. Uh, uh, well, they haven't been canceled, but they've been uh, uh, put on. What am I looking for, Stephen? They're they're indefinitely put off until their release
1: uh, dates have been moved.
0: Yeah, release date has been until they get better. And the one question I wanted to ask you tonight, and I'll go ahead and ask it, so I won't forget it. I know we're circling around this, but what is this going? I, I think they've moved the award shows already by a couple of months. Like the, the what the thing we call the Oscars has been moved from February to March or April now, and giving them a little more time and and change the rules uh, about who must have watched a movie for it to be counted.
1: Right, Tom. Uh, in terms of the Oscars, which is The primary thing you're talking about, the Academy Awards are going to be delayed from late February to April 25th of 2021. By doing that, the eligibility window, and this is important to know what this means, and that is, was your movie released in time to be considered for an Oscar nomination? And uh, it's a long discussion that we won't get into now, but it has to be released at a certain time, and it has to be released in certain cities at a certain time. But the eligibility window has also been extended to February 28th, Tom. Basically, one moved two months and the other one moved two months. And the Academy is in the process of writing new new eligibility guidelines and new uh, criteria for grading the movies that get the nominations. Uh, They're still ongoing at this time, but they're going to include some uh, movies that had originally been slated for theatrical release but have instead because of the covid-19 the coronavirus pandemic have been released to streaming
0: devices. So, a movie that it, would a movie that had only been on streaming devices be eligible or would it have to be on streaming and with the promise or the existence of a release in a brick and mortar house later. Uh,
1: it, it they're, they're not uh, the rules for uh, inclusion are not in their final form but I think that we're going to see that if, uh the movie had been considered to be one that would have been likely to have a theatrical release, though not with a set time period, and not with actual time in the brick-and-mortar movie house, I think that they're going to be considered. In other words, you could have a me. Netflix movie win Best Picture.
0: Okay, I, I know the late George, you know, our friend George Brody, the late George Brody taught me that Movie had to be in general release, or and if it was rele- for a certain period of time, and if it was released in, say, December under the old rules, it had to be viewed in certain sp- specific theaters. I think it's fun to know this kind of stuff. In L.A. and New York for at least one week during the month of December. Does that sound right to you?
1: Right. I think the latest that you could use to, that you were you could do in the old way, because we're talking about new ways, Tom, was that your movie could come out Christmas Day. Right. But it couldn't come out any really any later because one week of December is all you have left.
0: But it had to be shown, if it was shown for that, it was eligible for an Oscar for that year.
1: Right, and it had to be in certain theaters in two major metropolitan areas, Los Angeles and New York.
0: Right, which are the entertainment capitals of the United States. Not, not the only people, places, but, but, you know, generally recognized as such. And right. so on. So, uh, uh, but I want to
1: go back, Tom, uh, if I could, to something you said just before our break, and you were talking about, and this is how things have changed, and but speaks to our point. Uh, when you used to go to movies and see, I think your term was big westerns at one point, but uh, there was a time when the marquee would change every week, right? Right. That's a lot of product. And it's a lot of product. If you do research, you'll see that the production uh, cost of those movies were not very high. Now, we all loved them, and we look back fondly on them. But if we look back on them now and say, you know, this is a really well-made movie, well, it could be a guy galloping on a horse on a treadmill with a screen moving behind it. Not a lot of production value in that. But, Tom, back about 1975, uh, the idea of the summer blockbuster came into play. And that's where a movie is, it, it, it premieres and it stays in the theater for a long period of time and it makes a lot of money. The movie I'm thinking about and talking about is the movie Jaws. And thereafter, the blockbuster idea takes hold. To get a blockbuster, though, you have to have a quality movie. It has to be made well. It has to have named participants, both in the acting and directorial uh, areas as well as the uh, other areas of production. It has to be marketed, Tom and it has to come out, and then it has to make sufficient money, not just in America, but
0: around the world, to make up its budget costs. And can I say, if you wonder why we have, for instance, on any night, you and I could sit down and watch three different kind of like talk shows, you know, the Ill Tonight Show with Jimmy, whatever his name is. We could watch uh, Colbert, and we could watch Jimmy, what's his name?
1: Uh, there's two Jimmys. There's Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel.
0: Yeah, both of them. Uh, why one of the reasons those programs exist is so that Amy Adams can appear on them and plug her movie or Glenn Clark. Right.
1: right. There are campaigns, or they used to be called junkets, where the star is sent out to promote the movies, and they, they are on that circuit to promote the newest thing they got out for a period of time, and they appear on shows like yours, Tom, and they appear on Kimmel, and they appear on the Today Show, et cetera.
0: Well, you're exactly right. Somebody asked me one time, "How how are you able to get really great, you know, people?" Uh, and and I, what I told them is, if you've got a book out, you you'll appear. You know, I I managed to capture James McPherson one time, and he does not normally appear on just one radio. He'd be on a network show, but not on just one radio station. He's a Civil War author. I know you know who he is, but he's a big dog. And, well, that's
1: just the way the game is played. Well, back to the the. The point I'm trying to make, and unfortunately, torturing it to death, the product is no longer a lot of it. cheaply made. It's small amounts made expensively, and you know. So when you get a movie coming out in 2020, uh, you better hope it makes money, or you're not going to have an opportunity to make another one.
0: Right, and and what we're doing now, what we're talking about over the last 50 years, is the money that would have been used to produce. Uh, maybe 10 movies is now used to produce one movie, uh, one piece, one product. And uh, if you're making a bet, and if the bet doesn't come home, then you're, you're perhaps out of business, or you're going to have trouble getting backers the next time.
1: Well, Tom, just to look back at the numbers again, and, and you and know, you know, I know from working at baseball, because we're both big fans of baseball, the numbers can say a lot, and there's a lot behind the numbers. But if a film took $300 million to produce, it takes $200 million to market. You need $800 million globally to break even. And if you don't uh, debut it and if it doesn't do well in New York City, then then you don't get it because New York is both a major source of income and a nucleus of what was termed tastemaking. In other words, New York kind of sets the, the, the trend, if you will. So if you don't have any blockbusters, uh, then you don't have... Uh, uh, the, the business to cascade and support other parts of the industry, and everything after a while turns to either folding completely or bankruptcy. And if
0: Pauline Keel writes a good review, it's it's a kind of a manufactured situation is what it is, and you have to attend to all parts of it. it, it it's kind of like a uh, book sale. You, the author has to write the book, but then he has to be prepared, and a lot of authors don't want to do this, to go out on and, and bang the drum, so to speak, yeah. Well, you
1: know, we were talking about the Oscars a few moments ago, and of course, Tom, as you pointed out many times, the Oscars really were created to make, you know, movies popular.
0: They were created to make publicity for movies. Exactly that—that's uh, the thing we want. One, one has to watch when they're dealing with awards that are given out. Is exactly why were the awards created, and who who benefits from them, and how, and and the the early days of the Oscars, which I think they first gave them out in 1929, were, uh, there weren't very many people then. It wasn't a big dinner. They usually were just studio executives and, and movie personnel. And, and But it was something, the important thing was that it happened, and then it was in the newspaper the next day.
1: Well, and then somebody comes along like George C. Scott, and uh, in the early 60s, he let them know pretty early on that he, didn't think very much of the award shows and he told them it's just an, a meat market and when he wins in 1970 for patent he refuses to take the award because it, it, he says you simply can't rate actors against actors well if you go back to the reason for the academy awards which we just talked about it's basically Tom about money
0: right right well exactly uh, and there are all kinds of ratings that go on in america in fact we're I've got to introduce you to a word Stephen you were talking about the numbers earlier and I'm pulling your leg now, but you know there's a word called metrics out now and uh, yeah well
1: metrics is the science of numbers right
0: right yeah and uh, we have to it's a new way to refer to the numbers. We have to refer to the metrics and uh, the, the, the measurements and the, and the, the, the numbers and stuff like that and some of it, some of, it is, some of some of it is real and some of it is a game.
1: Yeah, it uh, some of it really means something. Tom is what I would. I'm just defining, what you said a little bit differently, uh, and and some of it is uh, just there to give you and I something to talk
0: about. It, exactly. Yeah, that 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 because we're we shouldn't be too rough because we're a part of that industry too. At least well, you know, Moneyball,
1: Tom, the movie. Moneyball, yeah. Right. Nominated as a book first, and then nominated, uh, then a movie with Brad Pitt, a very good one. Uh, nominated for Academy Awards, is about that science of numbers being applied to baseball. And the Oakland Athletics actually produced uh, a uh, playoff-to-caliber team using that.
0: Well, a lot. You know, we don't need to go too much further with baseball. In fact, we'll, I want to say one more thing, and then let's take a break and circle around and, and get, let you focus, because I've interrupted you so much tonight on the last ten minutes or so on, on the movies. But one of the things that... Uh, uh, happens uh, is that uh, you end up with people going to see the baseball game so they can, well the the baseball game becomes secondary to to selling tickets and uh, selling caps and uh, uh, you know uh, 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 concessions. In fact uh, I think I heard a story one time about a guy who had some contacts at Yankee Stadium and they offered him either the Selling the tickets concession or the selling the hot dogs concession, and he took the hot dogs because he could make more money selling hot dogs than he could selling tickets. But people are not going to go out there and stare at the field just to eat a hot dog. You got to put on a game so they'll show. And
1: uh, well, removing the romance of, of the sport from from the sport, it comes down to, at some point to money. Uh, I Tom. I, I do want to ask you someone to give me about five minutes on Sean Connery.
0: Okay, what we're going to do is take the break, and you you can use the the time that's left however you will. But I I think we've maybe established the point that we were interested in tonight, and that is what is going to happen to the theaters, the actual movie houses that we went on our first day to, Saturday night at the movies and whatever, that have been a part of American life and creating, creating movie stars, creating a kind of Hollywood. I mean, that's come to have a meaning of its own. In fact, Hollywood is rarely involved in the Hollywoodness of things now. But in any event, uh, but we do need to uh, talk about the Scotsman, uh, and we can do that uh, right after we take this break on WPTF. About five minutes into tonight's program, just about time to my brother Stephen Kearney, who is our guest tonight, and who we've talked about movies and the relationship between the. Uh, the national uh, disease, the coronavirus, and uh, uh, movie theaters having to close down, and what the future of movie theaters were, and the movie industry in general. And we'll try to, to keep up with this topic, because obviously over the months between now and when the awards are given out, the, the, the virus will be present uh, as it is now, so there will be news in that, but Stephen wanted to talk about a Scotsman, and Stephen, I... I want you to know when Mrs. Kearney and I were in Edinburgh, we took a, a bus tour, and and Mr. Sean Connery appears all over what was kind of his hometown, I think.
1: Well, Tom, uh, we talked about product uh, several times tonight, and some of the best product over the last uh, 50, 60 years has come from Sean Connery. And Mr. Connery passed away on Halloween, Tom, October 31st, 2020. I believe he was 90 years old. And, um, yeah, I could start with the Bond films because that's where a lot of people know about him. I, I think he does a great job with that, and many believe he's the essential Bond. Uh, we could argue and debate that for hours, but there's no debating the fact that he was a tremendous actor and provided us with a lot of really good entertainment. Uh, my two favorite Bond films are, I mean, my two favorite Connery films are not it's not James Bond, but is uh, the Great Train Robbery, which is from a book by Michael Crichton. Really good movie with Donald Sutherland and. uh the movie "The Wind and the Lion," which was made by John Milius, and is about a, uh, a story its about a historical event, Tom, but it was obviously changed for for the movies. It's about but, a kidnapping, wasn't it? It involves a kidnapping, right? Yeah. And it involves an an incident on the Barbary uh, coast uh, near Morocco or uh, in Morocco, uh, at or about the time of the presidency of Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, but you know, there's a hunt for. Uh, October. There's Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade, Robin and Marion, um, and on and on. And, and you so have not named
0: the movie that he got his Academy Award for.
1: And I, and I have not even done that too. I don't even consider that movie to be his uh, his, his best movie. But right. he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for The Untouchables.
0: Right, and you're right. I agree with you on that. I just was pulling your leg on that. But uh, and of course we we think of well, The Untouchables in terms of Robert Stack, but this was the sort of the same people, but uh, in a different context, I guess. But uh, Yeah, well, it was
1: the same idea, but it was made by Brian De Palma, and uh, obviously it's going to get a big screen treatment when Kevin Costner's your lead
0: man. He was in a movie with Audrey Hepburn, and it was Robin and Marion,
1: I think. Robin and Marion, and that's a different It's an older Robin, we're talking about Robin Hood now. Yeah, Robin and, Hood, right. And made Marion. It's an older version, and it's, Audrey Hepburn is an older... Lady, it's still very beautiful, but she's an older lady there, and it's a different story, Tom, than you're used to seeing.
0: It's about what their relationship would have been like at the end of their lives, and that's correct, rather than when they were young and hot blooded and everything. And I, somebody told me that I should see it. You know, I'm kind of a student of things English or Scots, uh, and uh, and I, I thought it was worth viewing. Robin and Marion. There you go. So.
1: But anyway, we pay you a tribute to him and honor him at his time of his passing, as, as others have done. And uh, I'm sure that you and Dr. Funkhouser will get around to talking about him and, and other notable celebrities, actors and what have you, that have passed away uh, in future shows.
0: Uh, indeed. And I want to thank you for being on with us tonight. You, you uh, had a couple of days' notice uh, and so on. Uh, and the, remind folks that uh, you come back in December on a one Friday night, I'm not sure which Friday night, and we end up talking about Christmas movies because they are movies that help you get in the mood, and then we will have our inevitable Saturday morning program show right before Christmas, as we always do. Stephen Kearney has been the guest tonight. I'm Tom Kearney. The Tom Kearney Show is here every night, Monday through Friday. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about uh, Thanksgiving's of yore.